This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. I'm going to share this word for a little bit. Uh, So I want you to pay attention, just uh, tune in, lean in as we receive the word. Uh, I've been praying this week about, you know, this passage of scripture that we are going to be studying. Um, We've been praying, we've been seeking the face of God and asking God to move in powerful ways. And we've been seeing God things happen over the last few weeks, uh, be it during our Tuesday evening prayers, when we come into the presence of God and pray, when we intercede, when we see God's face, doesn't matter. We're seeing God move in powerful ways. Uh, The church building is coming together. And uh, as we seek the face of God, we can't help but notice how God things are happening all around us. We can't notice, uh, but notice how God is moving in ways that uh, we can only look at and say, this is not the work of man. This has to be the work of God. Uh, and it's amazing to see that. Uh, and as we approach Habakkuk, uh, this is the part, part three of our sermon series that we just started three weeks ago. Uh, we're, we're going to verse number 12. And as we journey through the, the end of that chapter and even delve into the first verse of chapter number two, I pray that this will be revealed to us uh, through, the, through the word of God. Uh, like Bina said, uh, if you're here for the very first time, welcome. Uh, we want to thank you guys for joining us in worship, picking this Sunday to worship with us, to, uh, to just uh, come and be a part of what God is doing here. I want to thank you. Make sure that you meet us outside after service. We'd love to put a gift in your hands, uh, just in exchange some information just to keep in touch with you. Welcome again. Thank you so much for being over here. Uh, I want to jump right into uh, the, the scriptures this morning. We're about to... Like I said, Habakkuk's second question that he asks God. Uh, we've been dealing with God's answer last week. Uh, and as much as I was tempted as soon as I walked in here, or when the team sent me a picture of what was going on with uh, the theater today, uh, they have a play that's going on that's, uh, I think it's called Descendants. Uh, and uh, if you were thinking that I was about to preach from Matthew chapter 1 about the genealogy of Jesus, uh, I, I, I hate to disappoint you. Uh, as much as you were excited about that, uh, it's, it's not the plan. Uh, they, they're, they're putting on a show, a Disney production of some sorts. Uh, so like I always say, if you want to catch the play, come in the evening, and you probably might get tickets for the play. But uh, we work around what we have. So I'm hoping that you can see the projector. It's, it's not usual circumstances, but we work with what we have. Amen? Uh, but the team will have all the notes for you on the screen as we go. Uh, we, we're talking about this series and how it is important for us to be satisfied in the Savior when all is stripped away. We sang about that a few minutes ago. Uh, you know, in this book, we learn about, about how this prophet called Habakkuk, he complains. Uh, it's, the book is very different from other prophetic books because there's no literal prophecy in this book. Even though he happens to be a prophet, he's seeking God's face for an answer and an intervention as to how the things and affairs of the country of Judah are. Habakkuk complains, God responds. Habakkuk complains again for a second time. That's the complaint that we'll be, we'll be dealing with this morning. And as he finishes complaining, God answers again, and it ends up with Habakkuk praying and changing his attitude towards the things that God was doing. Of course, uh, Habakkuk is in, uh, you know, in a time, in an era, 
in Judah's history where the Babylonians were growing in power. They were plundering, destroying. They were walking into countries, taking them by force. And we'll explore that a little more today. And Habakkuk's first question in chapter number one, verse two to four, could be paraphrased as either, when will they change, Lord? Referring to the people of God behaving wickedly, turning away from God. Habakkuk is torn. Habakkuk is in pain, and he's asking God, God, when are they going to change? And the second question is, when will you change? Lord, or in, in other words, so, so as to not allow your people to continue in evil. He's saying, Lord, when would you change your attitude towards them? Are you going to just overlook this evil? Are you going to allow them to continue in evil? In either case, Habakkuk sees destruction and violence where he expects to see God's law and justice. And the result is an unacceptable perversion. You know, God's answer, like we studied last week from verse number 5 to 11, is utterly unbelievable. That he expects Habakkuk to be astounded by it, literally. In, in verse number 5 of Habakkuk 1 and verse 5, we read that, where God answers and said, man, if I try to explain to you, Habakkuk, you're not going to believe what I'm about to say. And what he, about, what he was about to say and what he was about to unleash on Habakkuk was, yes, it was shocking because, in fact, the way he was about to deal with Judah's disobedience and Judah's walking away from God was that he would bring an even more violent and even more godless nation against them. In other words, the answer is neither that God's people will change or that God himself will change. The answer is that Habakkuk's situation will change and that too for the worse. We try to reflect last week as to how many of us go through motions of life like that. When we try to get answers for our issues, when we, build, we, we feel like things are going to get better, it gets worse. When we feel like the pit that we're in is deep, it gets deeper. And the more we try to get out of it, sometimes we're caught up in this, in this season where we're like trying to figure out the mind of God. And this is exactly what provokes Habakkuk to ask God the second question. So we pick up in verse number 12, where the Bible says, Are you not from everlasting? Habakkuk is asking God, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. He glorifies God over there. He says, O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you look so idly as traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the, more, the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out of his net. He gathers them with his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and he makes offerings to his dragnet for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Man, it's a power-packed passage. And for those who probably read that and have never read that before, you're like, what was that? That, that just did not make sense, or that sounded gory, that sounded dangerous, that sounded painful, it sounded really bad. And let me tell you, it does sound as bad as it sounds. I want to break this down for us this morning. Verse number 12, 
Habakkuk is complaining to God and saying, God, you're bringing a more violent nation against us? You see us in issues that we can't resolve? You see pain? You see destruction? And your solution is to bring a more violent nation to correct that for us, Lord? Here's the thing what we want to observe is to begin with. He uses worshipful language as he begins. Habakkuk appeals to God's eternity. He's saying, Lord, are you not from everlasting? He says, aren't you a holy God? Aren't you a God of covenant promises? He says, we will not die. That is what he's reaffirming to God in his opening verse in chapter number, uh, in, in, in verse number 12. It's a beautiful model of prayer. Prayer requires praising God. He begins this petition. He begins this, this painful lament. He begins it by looking at God and saying, God, are you, God, you, you are prayer. You are great. You are majestic. You are powerful. You are all-knowing, God. You are from eternity to eternity. You are everlasting is what he's saying. You are holy. You're a holy God. But the more and more he talks about God's characteristics, he finds it difficult to understand that the God that is so good and a God that is so everlasting and a God that is so sovereign can still allow what is happening to happen. My question, the first question that I want to ask you is in all your pain, in all your happiness, do you give praise to God nonetheless? I pray that we will be people that will learn to praise God, not just in our good times, but also in our bad we will be people that praise God in our understanding and in our misunderstandings. We will praise God when we can understand what's going on and we can praise God when we have no clue as to what's going on. Habakkuk takes the right approach. He approaches the presence of God and he says, God, it doesn't change the fact that you are a holy God. I pray that that will be the model of prayer for us. In the most deepest of our pains, are we able to still recognize that God is still on the throne? I want to remind us, church, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what your pains, no matter what you're going through in life, good, bad, or ugly, it doesn't change the fact that he is from eternity to eternity. He always was, he is, and he always will be. He has not stepped away from the throne. Throne. He hasn't taken a break to sit on the throne. He hasn't, he hasn't gone to the bathroom. He isn't taking a, 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 a breakfast break or a lunch break or a you break. He is on the throne. He is still on the throne he is ruling he's always been there and God is just reaffirming this and he Habakkuk is just reminding God God I know that no matter what I want to remind myself and I want to remind my nation that we still know that God is good and then he continues and says oh Lord you have ordained them as a judgment and you, O rock, have established them for reproof he uses words like ordained and established you know what this means? He understands and he says, Lord, you know what? I, I know, I know, God, that you have used them for our judgment. He comes around. It was difficult for him to understand first. Last week, as God, we were talking about how God is saying, Habakkuk, I am using this, this country to bring judgment to you. And they might be more violent and they might be more treacherous, but you know what? This isn't my plan. I have allowed this to happen. I want to remind you, church, God is not the originator of evil. He doesn't create evil. Sometimes he allows evil. He, he allows us to go through pain. He allows us to go through destruction because in all of those things, he wants to reveal himself in a more deeper and a more intimate fashion. And that is why Habakkuk makes a declaration and says, God, you are holy because in unholiness, you begin understanding the holiness of God. 
In destruction, you understand how put together God is. Am I talking to somebody? Sometimes we go through stuff in our lives that is contrary to who God is because God wants to show you that without him, that's who you are. That's what you are. And in our dependency on ourselves, sometimes we tend to stray. Sometimes we, went to, we, we tend to go away and he looks at him and says, God, I understand. I know that you have ordained them, that you have chosen these people to be in our lives in this time. Church, my question today is, are you trusting God today that he is in total control of every situation in your life? Habakkuk has listened to what God has told him about using evil, and he fully acknowledges. He said, Lord, it's difficult for me to wrap my head around it, but God, it doesn't change the fact that I'm still going to look at you and say, you are still God, and if you are still God, I am nobody to question is. I am just going to be patient. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to see the salvation of God. So my, my urge to you this morning is hold on, church. Grip tight, church. My urge to you this morning is ride the wave. Allow your roots to dig deeper and learn to be satisfied in your Savior when all is stripped away. That's what God is trying to communicate to the land of Judah, to Habakkuk and saying, I'm about to strip you down. I'm about to take away every single thing that you rely on. I'm about to take away your gods, your idols, and every single thing that you depend on. But trust me, I am doing it for your own good. Sometimes it's hard to understand. But are we trusting God today? Are you content in God today? That's my question. Are you content in God? Despite your circumstances, despite it looking good, bad, are you content in God? And what that means is contentment is accepting God's sovereign control over all of life's circumstances. I'm going to repeat that. Contentment, Christian contentment, is accepting God's sovereignty over every single detail of your life. Even when purpose isn't revealed, even when God's purpose isn't revealed through what you're going through, even when it's not clear, even though cancer doesn't make sense, even though the the stuff that you're going through in your relationship doesn't make sense, even though the abuse does not make sense, even though the failures at school does not make sense, even though your inability to perform at work does not make sense, To confidently look at God and to learn and to say, man, even when I don't know what the purpose in this is, I'm going to learn to lean in on God's sovereign will. And that's what Habakkuk is really doing right now. He's saying, God, I'm just going to trust you right now. In verse number 13, he says, you who are of purer eyes than than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you so idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he sees? He's appealing to God's purity at this point. He says, man, God, how can such a pure and, 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 and a good God like you overlook evil? You see this resonance? You see this echoing of what he's already said in the previous verses? Habakkuk believes that God would would not be true to his nature if he simply lets the Chaldeans have their way. And no matter how much he knows that God is good, he's still you and me. Aren't you the same way? Lord, yeah, I know that you're good, God. 
I know that you're sovereign. I know you're on the throne. But when circumstances come our way, there's a way that circumstances have this tendency of telling us to still doubt, to still ask questions. And Habakkuk, no matter how much of a prophet he is, he's still human. And he's like, Lord, I'm trying to wrap my head around this, but I can't. Would you help me right now? And he's saying, how can you look idly? How can you just sit still and ignore And some of y'all might say, man, what audacity this man has. Some may say that all those things that he just said about God prior to the statement about holy and good and eternity and from from everlasting to everlasting and all those good things were self-defeating. Those were meaningless at its core because some may see this as a mocking tone of saying, you say all this, but you say this as well. That is possible. But it's also possible for the heart that trusts in God to still be deeply confused about what God is doing. Is somebody here in the same situation like that? In moments like this, it's important to lean into the will of God, pray through it, stand strong in it. See, see, and a lot of people are confused about this. See, prayer is not to change God's plan. Prayer is to align yourself with the will of God. And sometimes the will of God might be something contrary to what you've been praying for, what you've been expecting. And instead of making God accept all your plans, submit your will to his. Because that's one way in which you can align up yourself with God's thoughts. Is this what's happening to Habakkuk? I believe so. It's hard to be certain. Theologians don't fully understand this, but he says, man, your eyes are, it's not meant to see evil. You cannot look at wrong. He understands the holy character of God and he's more troubled as to why God would use this wicked nation to judge Judah. That's a lesser wicked nation than them. But here's the thing. In this passage, as we go down, and I'm skipping a lot of points to kind of make way for some times of worship towards the end. In verse number 15, He says, he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Now, the he that is talking about, he's talking about the Chaldeans. He's talking about these group of people that that are known for their vicious and vile ways. And as I'm talking about this, your Chaldeans might be something that I don't know about. You might be dealing with some Chaldeans in your life. You might be dealing with some Babylonians in your life. It could be at work. It could be at your job. It could be at relationships. It could be a business. It doesn't matter. I don't know what kind of Chaldeans you're dealing with, but I need us to put this into perspective. See, Habakkuk is saying the same thing three times in a row. He says, you bring them up with a, he brings them up with a hook. He drags them out with a net. He gathers them with a drag net and he rejoices and he's glad. In essence, he's saying the enemy rejoices when he causes suffering and pain to you. How many of you have people like that in your lives? They can't wait for you to, 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 to you know, to fall, to be defeated. How many of you have those people in your life that just can't wait to see you fail in your life? I've had that all my life. The Bible talks about this in, 
And, and Habakkuk is saying this thing. We, we see this words of deep confusion and deep hurt, but it's more anger when he's saying, man, these people are known for bringing them up with a hook. He's saying that these people, and, and it refers to this ancient practice by conquering nations, and Babylon was known for this in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, which we're talking about. They were known to, to go and plunder nations, and I want you to listen carefully. They would take people hostage. They would take people with them, and they would take these captives with hooks in their noses, or lower lips, which was not only painful, but it was humiliating. And they would lead them through the desert. They would lead them through. They parade them around to show their authority and dominion and superiority over other races, over other people, over other people, groups and nations. And, and Habakkuk is like, Lord, those are the people that you are putting over us? How many times have you gone through a situation where you were utterly humiliated for something or the other? It could be a, it could be in a work. It could be in a it could be a, a talk with a business partner. It could be something that you were doing, and somebody humiliated you. and And my question is, how did you feel at that moment? How was it to to feel utterly humiliated? And and Habakkuk puts himself in a position like this and says, God, this is what they're known for, and you're using people like that to discipline us. God, I don't understand this. We're about to be paraded on the streets. We're about to be stripped naked. We're about to be, we're, we're about to do circles. We're going to be taken from one nation to the other. And you're saying that this is in your plan? How do you feel when you're baited, when you're hooked? Verse 16, therefore he sacrifices his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. See, these are the people, these Babylonians, these Chaldeans, were people that worshipped their nets and their hooks. These instruments that they use, how evil they were. They, these instruments that they used to cause and inflict pain on the people that they took over, they would bring these instruments back, put it on an altar, and they would worship them because it is by that that they were exerting superiority. It, it was using those instruments that they would, 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 would you know, circumvent. They would, they would get authority over people around them and nations around them. Do you know what? People often idolize the things that bring them success and fame. They do. These are the people that were making a living off the discomfort of others. That's what he's trying to explain in that verse. He's saying, for them, he lives, he lives for by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. They live in luxury by bringing pain to others. They feast while other people suffer in applying these images to Babylon. Habakkuk was registering his shock and his outrage. And he's like, Lord, why would you put us among those people? Here's my question for reflection this morning. What has God been using lately that seems unconventional, almost diabolic, to lead you to his will? What have you been struggling with and asking God, saying, God, why this or how this? Why are you using such and such a thing or such and such a method? Or, or why did you bring such and such a person into my life? Or why did this happen to me when I was five or six? Or why did this happen to me three years ago? It completely changed my life forever. Why God? Why, why, why? Because oftentimes we can't wrap our mind around why God will allow evil things such as that to bring people to the will of God. For this last week, I know not, it's just not me, but 
a lot of people have been praying and we've been interceding for Afghanistan and we've been asking God to do what he does best to come and stand and, 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 and be glorified in their midst. We've been praying for, just not for the Christians in Afghanistan and the pastors in Afghanistan, but we've been praying for the refugees. We've been praying uh, without ceasing for, for people in general in Afghanistan and we're praying for peace in that nation. We can't bear what's going on. And the question was just thronging my head all week as I was preparing this. And I was like, God, this is us. This is where we are. This is where our world is. Why, God, would you use a terrorist organization to bring justice or whatever it is that you want to do? I don't know what your plan is, God, but why would you let something like that happen? In verse 17, he says, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? You know what he's simply asking? He's saying, Lord, how long is this going to continue? That's all I want to know. Like, how long do I have to brace myself? How long do I have to, to, to just be aware and to be cautioned? How long do I have to live under this umbrella, fearing not to go out, not to, to just, just with my guard up? That's the question he's saying. How long are they going to keep emptying their net and mercilessly killing nations forever? But what these people would do is that they would, they would cast their nets on people. And they would, they would, these were heavy steel and metal net, nets that they would just throw on people with, with machinery and stuff like that. And they would, they would cast it. They would get them. They would tie them up. And it was gory sights. And there are paintings of this in history where they would tie them up in this net and they would drag them through the desert, tumbling over each other. Right? And, 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 and Habakkuk is like, Lord, how much longer are we going to tolerate this? He, he, he likens it like a fisherman who's at sea, who so easily throws his net, and within moments, he pulls that net back up, and the net is filled with fish. He's talking about how effortless, how effortless this, this is seeming to be. How effortless it looks like the, the enemy is trying to get. He's like, Lord, how will this continue? The same thing over and over again. Victims galore when they're done with here. This place, they go to the next place and the next place. And they make victims out of everybody. And he's asking God, why are you not doing anything about it? Habakkuk is wondering how, how long God would allow Babylon to continue in their cruel conquest of nations. And he's like, Lord, I need to know. How many of us feel the same way in our lives? How many of us feel that the evil and the sickness and unfortunate accidents fall on us as easy as a fishnet? How many of us can probably say, man, I can't catch a break? When I've got a good report from the doctor, I step out and it's probably something else. It's probably something with my child. It's probably something at my job. It's probably something here. You're like, man, I just, I just can't catch a break here. If it's not sickness, it's something else. If it's not my family, it's something else. If it's not my faith, it's something else. If it's not my children, it's something else. If it's not my job, it's something else. Lord, when, God? It's so easy as a net being cast out and the enemy's just pulling it in time after time. And here I am asking God, when will I catch a break? And this is where Habakkuk pauses. And he says, Lord, I... I've told you everything that I, have, I had in my heart because I've, I'm finding it hard. How many of us go through those moments in our lives? 
I don't know about you, but I do. I'm a pastor, and I've been serving the Lord for a very long time, but I go through dark moments in my life where I just can't comprehend, and I just can't understand why things would happen the way it does. But God, I'm serving you. I'm doing what you have asked me to do, God. But why would I have to go through this in my life? Why would my family have to go through this in our lives? Why does my, my health have to be you know, put on the line, God? Why at my cost? is often the question. And he pauses for a second. And in Habakkuk 2, in verse 1, he kind of shifts gear, and we're going to close with this. He shifts gear. And he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. This is powerful. He says, God, now that you've heard my pain, I just needed to, I need, I, I want to tell somebody today, it's perfectly okay to go into the presence of God and just, just tell him what you're feeling. I don't know how many of you think that prayer is this, this thing that you have to do that's right. You have to use like the Queen's English. You have to go into the presence of God and, and say the right words and you have to, you know, have the, the right kind of tone and you have to say things in a poetic fashion or if not, your prayers are, you know, regardless, like it doesn't matter. It, no, it's not. Prayer is a conversation. And this Habakkuk is just going into the presence of God and saying, yes, God, I love you and you're holy and you're majestic, but I just need you to hear me out because I'm man and you're God and I just need you to understand that you're God and I acknowledge that and I acknowledge that you're sovereign God. But he makes a point and he says, you know what, God, no matter what my pain, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post. If there's one way I can put that, know your place. God's called you to be a soldier in a watch post. He, God looks at you and says, know your place. You know, the Bible says, be still and know that what? I am God. And I love this scripture because of what it says. It says, I will take my, someone say stand. I will take my stand in my watch post and station my, someone say station. Station myself on the tower. Sometimes waiting on God has to be in an exact position like that. There are different kinds of soldiers. Soldiers that patrol, soldiers that walk up and down, that make sure that the city is, is protected, make sure that they cover the corners, make sure that enemies are not hiding behind the walls and things like that. They're always on the lookout. But then there are other soldiers that are stationed on the tower. Their responsibility, and sometimes there are, there are two or three of them pointed just in one direction. It's not a, it's not a soldier that goes like this. Nope. If you, if you, if you look at Hollywood movies, you'll, you'll see them. There'll be two or three of them, and everyone has their own angle. They, 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 and, and it was exactly the same back then in that day and time where the, the soldier would be stationed and he wouldn't move. And all his job was to keep his eyes open and to keep his ears open. Am I talking to somebody? From the tower. Not from ground level, but from the tower. See, you got to get with God. If you got to understand the mind of God, you have to approach it through prayer. You got to elevate yourself to a place where you can separate yourself from the distractions, 
The things that's going to cause you to keep walking up and down, pacing up and down, because in a lot of our problems, that's what we're prone to do. Pace, 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 walk up and down, restless, twiddling our thumbs, putting our hands in our pocket, playing with our keys. Lord, when, 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 when? But God looks at us sometimes and says, all you got to do is stand. Someone say stand. And he makes this confession and says, God, I should do what I'm supposed to do. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. Now listen, what am I going to do? This is important. To look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Or in other words, the last part is what, and what I will answer when I am corrected. Two things he's doing. The first thing is I'm going to look out to see what he will say to me. It's so important. Oftentimes we're wondering, God, when are you going to talk to me? When are you going to speak? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? How often God's answers come and, and God finds us gone. We're pacing up and down. See, it's so hard to hear God and to meet God in his appointed time when you're pacing to and forth. God says sometimes you just got to station yourself. Someone say station. You just got to stand. Someone say Stand. That's what the Bible is very clear. Sometimes we've got to stand and see. We've got to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Some of us have to de be determined in our hearts to say, God, you know what? I'm not going to miss the boat. I'm not going to miss our appointment. Some of us have waited for a while and, and we think that there is no answer and we don't know what to do. But God says, man, I am coming. It's like waiting for the mail. How many of you ordered a package on Amazon and it was same day delivery and you're like, I need it now. And if they are two minutes late, I'm going to get upset at them. And you're waiting by your door and every five minutes you go and open that blind and you're like, FedEx truck, FedEx truck. And you waited all day and you're like how dare they not come right I I need my stuff right I don't know what you ordered but but you need it right there you need it right then and and you're you're growing impatient and 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 you're like man I got to go to the store and you leave to the store and immediately you get a notification your package was delivered we wait eagerly and just as we pull out the FedEx truck is pulled in right Oftentimes, God's ships touch our docks, but there's no one to unload them. God's looking at you and saying, stay alert, man, because his answer may not look or sound like the one you've been envisioning. You've been praying for something, and you think that it's going to come out that way, but oftentimes, God's answer comes out exactly the opposite, and when he has answered that, and when he has opened that door, you refuse to walk in because that's not exactly what you've been praying for, but he's answered you already. See, you miss out on doors that God opens up for you, and that door could have led you into many more opportunities, but your mind and your heart was so bent and was so fixed on saying, I got to walk through the door that I am praying for. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty about that. See, the job of the watchman is to do one thing, watch and wait. That's all he has to do. Habakkuk is content to wait on the Lord because it seems as if he truly wants and needs an answer to his dilemma. And the second thing is this, he says, I'm going to wait because I, I, want to, I want to hear what I will answer or I want to answer when I'm corrected. He doesn't know what correction is coming his way. He has a great attitude. Here, this is why, because of that statement that he makes, that is why I see that Habakkuk didn't ask God this question because he thought God was wrong and had to explain himself. He asked it because he knew that he was wrong, that he was wrong and he needed to be corrected. That Habakkuk was wrong. 
and he needed correction. His questions were his invitation to God saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I know that you are right in all things. Please speak to me and please correct me and tell me how to think. Tell me what to do. Worship team, would you come up? You know, even though it appears that God has been silent for a while, in correcting the wrongdoings of the Babylonians and the Chaldeans and the pain that they're about to suffer, Habakkuk fully expects God to answer and fix the situation. My question today is, how are you doing that in your own life? When you cry out to God, do you expect an answer? Do you expect an answer right then? Are you okay by saying, God, I'm going to wait till your answer comes, Lord? And if you do, are you watching? Are you waiting expectantly for that answer? Because here's what the Bible says in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, that's the, someone say his will. His will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, that we have what we asked for off him. That's the way we got to approach it waiting expectantly on him, aligning ourselves with the will of God. The answer that we get may or may not be what we were hoping for. But since God is God and we are not, we should be perfectly confident and perfect, perfectly okay in knowing that God does not hear our prayers and does not always answer them immediately. Sometimes he takes a moment, sometimes he takes a week, sometimes he takes years, but he that is promised is faithful. Waiting is not pleasant by any means. I don't know one person that says, I love waiting. We're building our church right next to the DPS office. It's amazing for me to walk out sometimes when I take a break or I need a fresh breath of air and look to the right and see flabbergasted people that are of wit's end that just want to throw all their papers and documents up in the air and storm away. But they don't because they know that at the end of their wait comes a license that they desperately need. But waiting isn't fun. It isn't. In Psalms 42, David is in this fight with himself. He's talking to himself and says, why are you downcast, my soul? Why? Put your hope in the Lord. Trust God. Put your hope in God. And my question this morning is, how do you wait on the Lord? How do we wait on the Lord? Like we wait for everything else. Like you wait in the grocery line behind the lady with the coupons because you know you need your watermelon. You know you can't go home without those eggs that your wife told you to go pick up from the grocery store. So you're willing to wait in line. Like you wait in the doctor's office. You gripe and you complain in your heart. You're like, we had an appointment, but you still wait. Like you wait in the DPS office because you know you need your license because that's the only legal way to get around. Like you wait in the Starbucks drive-thru. I've seen people wait, wait so patiently in the Starbucks drive-thru, but they can't wait for God. Why are we okay in waiting these places? Because of the benefit of the wait. 
because you stand to gain, because you go home with food, because you go home with that painkiller, because you go home with a license to drive, because you go home with a cup of happiness. Why wait for God? Because those who wait on the Lord, the Bible says, He will renew your strength. That's what the Bible says. That is why I wait on the Lord, if not for anything else, because He will renew my strength. And sometimes, man, waiting makes you tired, and God reminds you that He will restore all that strength you spent on that weight and you will mount up with wings like eagles you will not go weary a calm sea does not make a, a skillful sailor I'm going to say that again a calm sea does not make a skillful sailor Abraham and Sarah were old God looks at them and says you're going to have a son you know what Sarah does? Ha! She laughs. She laughs. She had missed her window. But God tells her when it's my time, time aligns with my plans. Many people are told that you are out of producing season and you think that you're out of producing season because of your circumstances. But God is about to redeem time. When you wait on him, the Bible's, the promise is that he will renew your strength. So many of y'all have been spent waiting. Come on, somebody. But he says, when I come through, the first thing he does is renew your strength. He makes you new. He makes you fresh. It's, it's going to seem like time didn't even pass. It's going to be so sweet. What does Sarah and Abraham do? They overlook God's promise. They don't give God his time. They use Hagar as a surrogate. They name him. They, they say, your name is, is, is this and this is who you are. And if God said we're going to have a son, it's probably this way. So Ishmael comes into the picture and he says, you are our son. And, and, and they use they, they use this surrogate to produce this blessing. And God says, that ain't it. I don't know what that is, but that's not for me. But it's a blessing, God. I've shared this before in the church, and I wanted to repeat this. But it's a blessing, God. A child is a blessing. It's a blessing. It's not, it's, I'm, I'm not going to downplay that in, in any way, but that's a blessing you made, not one that I gave. See, every child is a blessing. Don't get me wrong. I use the child to explain the analogy of impatience. See, we can produce things in our impatience that we call God's blessing. That we think is God's blessing. That we label God's blessing. God has blessed me. I am blessed. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag too blessed. Hashtag way too blessed. Stand up to your feet with me, church. What a powerful time of worship we had earlier. I ran through my message this morning because I wanted to uh, make sure that we had an additional 10 minutes just to worship. I'm going to ask the worship team to just lead us in a time of worship. And as, as they do, I don't know how many of you are waiting for something. And you're waiting for something that seems grim, that seems hopeless. It looks like a situation that you have no control over whatsoever. 
you feel like a fish in the sea and you're just so scared because a net might come flying at any time. You have no idea when that hook is going to come get you. You're just bracing for impact. Every moment of your life is a, you're just watching out for yourself. You're just hoping and you're watching, you're walking on eggshells because you don't want to wake the devil up. God's like, I love you. He's like, the promises have always be with you. I will always, I've, I will never leave your side. I will always be with you, even till the end of time. That's the promise. The promise was not, hey, I will not give you pain. The promise wasn't, you're going to have a good life. You're going to have a peaceful life. No, 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 no. The promise was, no matter what you're going through, Anjali, I will be with you even till the end of time. I will hold your hand. I will, I will give you the strength. I will wipe your tears. I will, though the water may try to overwhelm you, I will hold you up. Oh, though the sinking sand might try to drag you down, I will still hold you up. Though the fire may try to consume you, I will still be there with you. That's the promise. See, the promise needs someone to hold on to it and say, I'm going to stand watch. I'm going to be on the lookout. I'm going to stop pacing. I'm, I'm done with pacing duty. I'm done with this soldier duty that paces all around. I Put me on the tower. Someone needs to look at God and say, God, station me in the tower. I need to be stationed. Some of your hearts need to be stilled. Some of your hearts need to be settled and, and content with God. Look at your neighbor and say, be content with God. Be content. And as the worship team leads us in a time of worship, I want you to just give your worries, your heart to the, to the Lord this morning. And, you know, I'm opening up this invitation again like Sonia did. If you want to just leave your seats, just feel free to worship for some time. It could be in the wings. It could be up here in the altar, wherever you want. If you just feel like you just want to just come and worship, you don't have to come for prayer. The prayer team is going to be available, but you, you just want to worship freely. Just surrender yourself to the Lord. Feel free to. I'm just going to ask them to lead us in a time of worship. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.